So, here we go. Um, I just really like to start with some thank yous. Uh, thank you to Luis for all he's brought to this week. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you to Rodney. <laughs> for who he is. A thank you to all of the staff who, you know, work so diligently for us here. And, you know, I, I was aware last night when I was calling out the, the sort of maintenance manager at, at 9.30, you know, from his home in Petersham to fix the toilet, I thought, I can do this and I know he's going to come and he's not going to hate me for it. And, <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And especially a thank you to all of you uh, for your silence, your sincerity, your willingness. Every retreat really does have a different flavor. And certainly I've noticed on this retreat the minimal amount of nagging we've had to do. And that's a, a tremendous gift to us, I can tell you. You know, no nagging, please come in the hall on time, you know, please don't do this. We haven't had to do that. And I think that's really just the embodiment of your dedication and willingness to, to take it on, to take on the retreat, to take on the practice. So thank you. I wanted to read you just a small part of a poem by Naomi Shihab Nye. Rodney may have read this already in the retreat, I don't know. When someone invites you to a party, remember what parties are like before answering. You're trying to remember something too important to forget. Trees, the monastery bell at twilight. You have a new project. It will never be finished. Walk around feeling like a leaf knowing you could tumble any second. Then decide what to do with your time. I particularly love this bit of this poem because I, I really think it speaks to, you know, this reality of living in an uncertain and unpredictable world that we simply cannot control the changes that will come to us, some of them welcome, some of them very difficult. Um, living in this world where there is so much not knowing that is not always easy to embrace, not knowing even what the next moment will bring. And yet, knowing that, that we certainly cannot control the world of conditions, we cannot control what other people are going to do with their minds. But perhaps this remaining choice of what we are doing with our attention is really the doorway to the greatest freedom and peace and compassion in our lives. And 
you know, I think a lot of meditation practice, a lot of this journey is that remembering, remembering something too important to forget. That, you know, as, as we enter into every moment, or as almost as every moment into, enters into us, that is the, the doorway. What are we going to do with our attention? What are we going to foster? What are we going to nurture and feed in that moment? And that will actually really in many ways determine our world of the moment. Whether it will be a world of kindness and balance, or whether it will be a world of, of chaos, of confusion, of despair, of, of rage. And, you know, it is so important to understand that this practice is indeed and always has been and always will be a relational practice. Even though we sit in solitude and we sit in silence and in many ways it, it looks like a, a practice of great aloneness. The reality is that we're, we are relational beings. We are relating not only to this inner world of of sensations and feelings and emotions and thoughts. But of course, we're always relating to the world around us, both being influenced by and influencing. And, you know, leaving a, a footprint with every word, every thought, every act, just as the world leaves footprints in our own heart and mind. And I, I think, you know, Rodney very much touched upon this last night, this sense of accountability, not exaggerated responsibility, not judgment, not demand or insistence that we be a certain way because we're a meditator. Um, but acknowledging that it, when we can remember that possibility of choosing what we are going to do with our attention, then in that relational world, there is the possibility of really fostering the kindness and the compassion, the integrity, the clarity that this world truly is in dire need of. The Buddha very much spoke as of kindness and compassion as really being the motivation, the very reason for this entire pathway that sense of altruism, of healing, of relieving suffering whenever it is possible to do so. And, you know, in that kind of dedication, that kind of vision, it doesn't mean undertaking, you know, grand acts, you know, and grand renunciations and grand projects. But it does mean taking care of the quality of our, our relational sense in every moment, how much kindness is there, how much compassion is there, how much clarity is there. You know, mindfulness is at times translated as remembering. And, you know, this, this you know, we've, I hope you've heard us kind of, this is what has been my big nag on the retreat, you know, continuity and continuum, you know, walk, 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 you know. Why do I nag at that? Because it's so easy when we hear that bell to think that's the end of the meditation. And it's so easy when we leave a retreat to think, oh, it's the end of the retreat, but that's the end of the meditation. It is, it is not. It is a change in posture. That's all it is. It's a change in posture. 
and leaving the retreat is a change in environment. And, you know, quite frankly, to have our spiritual practice, our dharma practice, our journey of awakening really confined to one week a year, what a frustrating spiritual path. That's all I can say. How frustrating that would be. And, you know, I have to say, I really, really notice when people have a sort of dedicated remembering in their lives, you know, that includes practice and inspiration, that retreats are just one part of that landscape, one part of that continuum. They're not the thing. You know, there's not, it's not that kind of hierarchy where retreats are the thing. Life is the thing. You know, life is the thing. And so to have that, you know, to, to, it's, we know how easy it is to be forgetful. Goodness me, you know, how easy it is to be forgetful. Um, but, you know, we think, we think it's hard to remember or hard to be mindful, but it's much harder on us to be forgetful. So it is really very important in our lives that we bring in the, the kind of uh, the ways of being inspired, the ways of being motivated. Because I don't think it, it's necessarily the best practice just to to treat a sort of daily practice as something on our to-do list. You know, oh, done my practice, you know, you know, eat breakfast, this, this, you know, as if we've kind of like finished it. I think it's very important that the biggest gift of, of a regular practice is that it's part of an exploration, it's part of an investigation. And it's so important, I think it is so important to have times of stillness because we never know what's going on in here unless we stop sometimes, you know, and we need to stop sometimes to actually know what's going, going on in here, even when we'd rather not, <coughs> even when we'd rather not. But, you know, it, uh, times of stillness are so important. We don't get those, that's not part of often the informational field that we're getting from the world, you know, which is about busyness and doing and becoming and having and getting and improving and you know, full-time job. Um, so that's not the message we're getting necessarily from the world all the time. So we need to bring that message into ourselves. And that time of stillness allows us to ask, what is going on in here? Because, you know, that's what we're bringing into the next moment. That's what we're bringing into our life. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean, again, you know, we've talked a lot about not fixing identities, not fixing images. And that's so important not to fix the image of the meditator. You know, my, my father has never really been very interested in what I do, actually, my entire family um, has never been very interested in what I do. I think it scares them a little bit, so they don't ask, you know. My brother, in his more drunken moments, used to imagine I was a drug smuggler with all my traveling. <laughs> He once had this tirade when he was drunk at me, you know, you smuggling drugs, you know. <laughs> no, Mike, I'm not smuggling drugs. <laughs> but, <laughs> but 
anyway, last year my father did ask me what I did in, on all these retreats. This is like 40 years on, you know. So it's been a slow cooking question, we might say. <laughs> he said, what do you do, you know? And I said, well, you know, we, we sort of cultivate mindfulness. We cultivate, uh, cultivate awareness. He says, well, you're not very good at it, are you? He says, you've been doing it for 40 years. Like, when do you stop practicing? I come from a very supportive family. And I... <laughs> but last year, when my, my father did have uh, an emergency triple heart bypass and was terribly ill and terribly alien, and I nursed him post-operatively in the kind of big crisis part. He, he said to me, is this why you do what you do? And I, and I thought, and I thought, yeah, actually it is. I practiced my whole life for that period. Like I practiced my whole life so I could be in the midst of that sort of crisis and that sort of pain and that sort of chaos and not be afraid. And not be afraid much. Mind you, it was pretty wild. But anyway, it is, you know, metta is not something we just practice. Metta is something we do. It's something we speak. It's something we think. It's something we're guided by. And there is, as I mentioned, when we began the loving-kindness practice, never too much, but often too little. So in many ways, this practice, I think, is all about treasuring, really, what is possible for us as human beings. It's about treasuring, really, what is possible for us as human beings. It's really having confidence, having faith in our capacity for awakening, our capacity for kindness, our capacity for compassion. And for me, this is actually what the practice is all about. And I just really want to, to just mark, you know, I mean, if you think back to your first day on the retreat or your second day, pretty tough days, weren't they? I mean, you know, think, and did you ever think this is not going to change at all? Like, I'm going to sleep this whole week, you know? <laughs> and you ever think, you know, have that thought, this is absolutely not going to change at all? And isn't it amazing, you know, what can transpire in just a few days? And it's, it's not geographical, it's not IMS, it's really born of your willingness, your willingness to pay attention. It's the sort of magical ingredient here. Our willingness to pay attention, our willingness to keep showing up. And sometimes kind of like that's all we're doing, we're just showing up. But even that is an expression of faith in our own potential for awakening. Even in daily life, if we show up on our cushion and nothing's going on, it, you know, it absolutely doesn't matter. It is an expression of faith in our confidence in our own capacity for awakening. And I think that, that needs to be our inspiration, that needs to be our motivation. <clears throat> and there is something I think remarkably profound in that, and it's what this whole <coughs> journey centers around. And it's not easy, you know, it's not easy. I, re I remember years ago coming on a retreat here, you know, and I forgot to get a cushion. 
you know, before the retreat started. And so by the time the retreat started, guess what was left in the back room? Well, you know, this poor forsaken cushion that <laughs> nobody in their right mind would ever choose, obviously, because it was the only one left. And I spent the whole week sitting on this lumpy cushion, you know, and kneading it and pummeling it and pressing it. And then there came a point where I realized, actually, it's just a lumpy cushion, you know, it's kind of like life. You know, how much do we need and pummel and punch, you know, and sometimes it's just a lumpy cushion. And that's what we're asked to be with. That's what we're asked to be with. So again, I just thank you. Probably the most important thing that happened for me this week, uh, and if some of you were in the hall when I read that poem by Ted Weinstein, uh, Confessions of a Bad Meditator, I've always wanted to ring that bell. <laughs> That's actually all I got out of this. <laughs> But of course, I'm now going to take out my little book. I lied. <laughs> anyway, um, you know how Monty Python has the Ministry of Silly Walks? I'm a member of the Ministry of Silly Mind States, so <laughs> pardon me for starting like that. <laughs> um, I have incredible gratitude for, uh, for this opportunity. Christina asked me to do this. She's been my mentor for the last year. I was doing a program at the Barry Center called the Intensive Study pra Practice Program. And when she asked me to do this, I was kind of like, <laughs> why is she asking me? But um, I felt very honored. And of course, there was no way I would say no since having this opportunity to have her as a mentor was an incredible experience for me over the last year. And then also to be with Rodney and having sat here with both of them many times. Uh, you know, to move from that level to this level is just, what, three steps? But it's the same thing. <laughs> it just happened to be facing you. Every once in a while during my sittings, I would have to sort of visualize myself out there and just see that you know it's it's just a level it's not a change of practice or experience and um, this place has always been a refuge and i think the only thing that was different this time is that having to speak and having to sort of uh, be behind the scenes a little bit was a bit disconcerting at first but then i also learned to appreciate what Christina has alluded to, the, the incredible network of care that IMS has created for all of us, for us to feel safe and protected, for us to be able to dedicate this amount of time and energy to being present. Because when you think about it, the level of support is incredibly moving at 
sort of the institutional level, if you want to call it that. And then there's the teachers, and then there's all of you. And all of you, I, I mean, it's the same thing. Every time I've come here, it's a very powerful experience to be held by all of you and to be held so, with so much kindness. And uh, there's always a great sense of tenderness and um, also a sense of joy for me when I come here. So I really uh, am very thankful to Christina and Rodney, thankful to IMS, and also thankful to you and for your practice and for helping me remember to remember. So I too, I feel um, the appreciation, not only of my coworkers, uh, who I, I deeply respect on every level, and always appreciate uh, with Christina teaching with her because of her integrity and her absolute straightforwardness. That you don't get any mucking around, you go right with it. I've always appreciated that with her. <clears throat> And uh, also with all of you, I just have, as Christina mentioned, and Louise, a, a deep, uh, what comes out of us as teachers is when we meet the sincerity of wanting to learn. <clears throat> it just rises. Uh, and for me, it, there's a kind of a passionate response to seeing that being met with sincerity. And, I am guilty of the passion of my response because I saw the sincerity in you. And it's only because of that. And thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, all of us have had the experience of meeting someone who feels um, different than the norm. It may be that they are uh, the level of their honesty it may be that they uh, are just a steady, a steady sense of presence. And, uh, or it, it could be that uh, when you offer them feedback, they listen. It's amazing to actually have somebody take in feedback as it's being, because we're, we're in ready mode uh, to have that defended, and then we're, like a ping pong player going to hit it back and on and on it goes. But to actually have somebody hear what you're saying or trying to say and to reflect back in a kind of way that allows us to know that the information was taken in. Such a person is valued indeed. Now what is happening in such a person? Because that kind of person is something I admire. Most of us do. What is going on there? We don't really admire somebody who's arrogant in the face of feedback, although to them, they're protecting themselves from the pain of taking in the message. But from our point of view, it's not, a, it's not the arrogance is, gets in the way. So when a person is actually receptive to that feedback or life in general, there's a, there's a willingness to look at the fact as being friendly, what is being said as being friendly, not as 
uh, an enemy or difficulty. It may be difficult, but the fact is essentially friendly. And I think orienting ourselves to life so that we see that the facts of life are friendly, are indeed something that we want to take in, we want to include, we want to allow that transmission. We want to be affected by the facts rather than guarded by the facts or defensive of the facts. An 8th century Indian uh, Buddhist scholar and uh, philosopher named Shanti Deva put it this way. He says, we are not here to change the world. The world is here to change us. That's a beautiful inscription for the path of our life. Most of us in our righteousness want to do something to correct the wrongs we see. But we don't realize that the righteousness is what we're actually trying to correct in what we see. And when we're willing to receive life, we begin to harmonize with it. We begin to drop our defenses of it. And such a world is one in which there's not a lot of change necessary. So what is required of us is that orientation of mind and spirit and heart where life is getting in and we're allowing it to get in. And when it hits some difficulty, which it will, I mean, it just, it's like uh, one of those ping, ping, ball, ping ball machines that keeps hitting bunkers along the way and you keep flicking it in it. When information is imparted to us, it comes through our ping pong mentality. Our, what do you call those things? Pinball, pinball mentality. And we keep deflecting it and protecting it and shooting it off. Rather than just allowing the ball to land, just take it in. I'll deal with the pain issue. The fact is friendly. The fact may, the, the fact may cause some difficulty, may cause some, but let, let me just, let me just allow to see what, what's the, where is the inhibition in it, in this fact? Where is that? Let me look at the pain. What's the resistance about? Most of us never ask that question. We're too interested in defending ourselves from the implication of where that fact may land. I say if it lands somewhere and it is obviously going to land and destroy something in me, whatever it is I'm trying to protect isn't worth defending. So from that point of view, it's... Also, I just want to mention, and I'm not going to spend a long time talking, I just want to change the definition of meditation for us so that when we go out of here, there can be a resonance with the deep levels of interest that we have for ourselves. Many of you have had insights in the course of this week and some of them have uh, encouraged a great deal of reflection in you and orientation to a new uh, issue that might be arising. Let us say the issue of trust is there. Christina mentioned uh, what the fourth foundation of mindfulness is. To me, the fourth foundation of mindfulness is interfacing with life as an ongoing question, as an ongoing wonder, as an ongoing encouragement. And when you have an issue such as trust, you want to come to the truth in you, the dharma in you, of where that trust, the lack of trust, the protection from trust, is, is taking residence. And so 
you start working with this sense of, say, trust, and you just, you don't let it up. You don't let it, you say, okay, let's see, where's there's mistrust in this moment? Where am I pulling back? What am I trying to protect? What do I foresee? What am I projecting on this moment that has me recoil back in some sense of tension? And I just, I just stay with that issue until it becomes a non-issue. Until I can relax in the moment, until I can see that the conditioned reference I've given to the moment has a kind of mistrust conditioning and all that all I need to do is to relax and to release myself from that mistrust and I find myself very trusting in this moment. And it's usually, it's always from the past, it's usually from our childhood's past in which these conditioning, this conditioning um, uh, it, it springs forth in the present. So we don't say I'm a mistrusting person and that's the way I'm going to be there my whole life. That's a noun. It's I'm a mistrusting, uh, there's mistrust in here. Let's just uproot it. Let's just see it. Let's just expose this thing. I'm not turning away from this. This is a verb. We're, we're in the process of, of trusting ever greater. And to use this as, there's nothing fixed within us. There's nothing insurmountable within any of us. Everything is a verb that can be rooted out with the willingness to, to go and to expose it. And that's the ongoing relationship that I have found so useful. It's also, you see, you're not going to bring, you say, well, where's the meditation in that? You're, you're constantly meditating. You feel the mistrust, which is already awareness of the internal response. You look externally at how you're projecting onto life, which takes awareness. And you're bringing forth an encouragement and an inclination in your heart to establish trust as the way your life is going to move. And so you're moving from suffering to non-suffering. You're doing it through awareness. And you're doing it through an abiding interest of the issue that is very important in your system, in your psyche, which is trust. You see? Bring it out. And it's interesting because that particular subject you feel, you know, holds you back, blocks your participation in life. The heart has a resolve all its own. It what does refuses to be obstructed. And once you let that heart out, it's just, it's just going to, it will take you into the most difficult areas. But it'll do so gently because it also has that quality and patiently. And with a lot of sensitivity for each of our limitations. So that there's no force in this thing. You don't feel, you feel the issue and you also feel at the same time what limits your participation with that issue. And you bring, we bring sensitivity to that. We don't rush ourselves. This isn't a, a white knuckling approach to it. It's a, it's a it, from the heart, with the heart, to the heart. Say, oh, well, okay, so I'm just a little, that's a little too much for me right now. So I'm just going to back off. That's self-monitoring of it. But we keep ourselves on the edge of it. We, lean, we, we see what needs to be done. We don't forget the issue. And we don't let it go off into the subconscious. We keep it current, but oh, that's too much a little bit now. Let me just back off. And that coming forth, backing off in one's own timing is the essence of meditation. The essence of it. The essence of it. 
facts are friendly. We're not here to change the world. The world will be changed in accordance to the fullness of our heart. You think the heart's going to shrink back and say, world, I don't want anything to do with you. All I want to do is change myself. No. You start changing yourself, you'll, you start seeing yourself in relationship to the world. You start seeing all beings within oneself. And then you respond to the pain of all beings, and that changes the world. That's really all I have to say. <laughs> what a pleasure. What a pleasure. I'd like to end with just a short dedication. So just for this last time together, if you could just find a posture of ease and relaxation. Again, just returning to a, a sense of quietude of being here. aware of your body-mind. And expanding your awareness just this one time to really include everyone who is here, those you know and those that you don't know. And just an offering of of your sense of appreciation, your warmth for all of those around you, for all that they have brought to this week, themselves, their silence, their dedication. And receiving, receiving that warmth and appreciation from others. just reflecting for a moment on this path and its direction, its meaning. And dedicating our practice really to the happiness and the well-being of all beings. That whatever benefits are born of our practice, in a deepening kindness or compassion or sensitivity. May those benefits, those fruits really contribute to the healing of our world, of those we love, of those we don't know. Whatever benefits, whatever fruits are born of our practice, in calmness, in steadiness, in tolerance, in generosity. May they contribute to the healing of estrangement, of fear, of mistrust.
whatever benefits are born of our practice in respect, in acceptance, in patience. May they contribute to the well-being, the happiness of all beings. And extending that sense of dedication and warmth and friendliness to those around us, to ourselves, to those we love, to those we struggle with, and to the countless beings in our world who we don't know, those who are fearful, those who are suffering, those who are caught in wars or oppression, those who are lonely. May all beings, near and far, be safe and protected. May all beings, near and far, be peaceful. May all beings, near and far, live with ease and with kindness. Closing with a poem for Mary Oliver. Every summer, I listen and look under the sun's brass and even in the moonlight, but I can't hear anything. I can't see anything. Not the pale roots of the corn digging down, nor the green stalks muscling up, nor the leaves dampening their damp pleats nor the tassels making, nor the shucks, nor the cobs. And still, every day, the leafy fields grow taller and thicker, green gowns lofting up in the night, showered with silk. And so, every summer, I fail as a witness, seeing nothing. I am deaf, too, to the tick of the leaves, the tapping of downwardness from the banyan feet of it all all of it happening beyond all seeable proof or hearable hum. And therefore, let the immeasurable come. Let the unknowable touch the buckle of my spine. Let the wind turn in the trees and the mystery hidden in dirt swing through the air. How could I look at anything in this world and tremble and grip my hands over my heart? What should I fear? For one morning in the leafy green ocean, the honeycomb of the corn's beautiful body is sure to be there. Thank you for allowing us to share. Silence is broken. <laughs>
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.